comes from 1 Corinthians, uh, and we're reading the whole of chapter 4. Um, on most of the Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 1195. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. For we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment... We have become the scum of the earth, the refuge of the world. But I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip, or in love with a gentle spirit? Thanks, Phoebe. Uh, I'd love you to take a moment now to say good day to someone around about you. Move. Uh, if you don't have an outline yet, uh, the outlines look like these and in the back of the hall. It'd be great to have that. It'd also be really helpful to have your Bible open. So if you're an on-the-screen reader, open up to 1 Corinthians 4 and I'll call you back in a moment. But right now, why don't you move, say good day to someone around about you. I'll get your attention in a moment. Okay, friends, I'll get your attention back again. Let me pray for us and we'll consider that a good part of God's good word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much that you've not left us us fumbling in the dark, 
to find you, but you've revealed yourself to us in your Son and made him known to us in your word. We pray that um, by your Spirit we would know more of him tonight. In particular, we would know more of what it looks like uh, to be a leader under him and more of what we should look for in our leaders. And we pray this uh, for Jesus' honour and glory. Amen. Uh, I read a great survey uh, once about what people expect from the perfect pastor. It is from the perfect Christian leader and these were kind of the computerised, uh, brought together results. The perfect pastor, one, preaches for exactly 12 minutes. <laughs> Two, he is 28 years of age but has already been preaching for 30. He frequently condemns sin but never upsets anyone. Uh, he wears good clothes, buys good books, Drives a good car, gives generously to the poor and accepts a low salary. He makes 15 calls a day to families in the parish, visits the housebone, hospitalised, spends all his time evangelising the unchurched and is always in the office when needed. And finally, from those results, I'm pretty sure, I'm on, I'm pretty sure that uh, Yvonne and Rose Sirawira had a lot to do with getting in. Six, he is very, very handsome. Where's John? One out of six ain't bad. <laughs> Not suggesting, you know, that, yeah. Uh, when they're mashed together like that, those results are, are silly, of course. But they do raise a very important question. The question is this. What do you look for in the leaders over you? If you were compiling your own kind of uh, survey of the perfect pastor, what would you include? More to the point... What should you include? What should you look for in the leaders over you? Uh, Slightly more confronting still for some of you in the room. Uh, What should you be like if you are a Christian leader? Be that in a youth group or growth group or kids church or this church. What should true Christian leadership look like? After all, whether you realise it or not, your Christian leaders have a huge influence on you, on what you believe, on how you live, on who you are. See, believe it or not, perhaps like it or not, you will become like your leaders. Take a long look at your leaders sitting over there. In fact, I wonder if you've already noticed that uh, in yourself or others. In those little turns of phrase, the uh, annoying little gestures, the uh, Sri Lankan or Vietnamese Australian pronunciations. Have have you ever caught yourself saying something or doing something and then thought, hang on, wait a minute, oh no, that's just what John would do. That's just what Chris would do. Because I want to say, if you have... That's no accident. That's God's design. God's designed his church in such a way that you're supposed to become like your leaders. In such a way that who we follow affects where we go. That who we follow affects who we are. And so let me ask you again, what do you look for? in the leaders over you? What should you look for 
in the leaders over you? What should you be like if you are a Christian leader? Well, whatever you have in mind, hold that thought and then come with me 1 Corinthians 4 where Paul shows us how God would answer that question. See, Paul tells us three things we need to know about true Christian leadership. And the first is this, that true Christian leaders have one ultimate master and one ultimate task. They are servants of Christ who proclaim the cross. Have a look there, verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. I remember a story once of a new minister who announced his arrival at the church's AGM and he said something like, we need to remember this church is not an aristocracy. It's not a democracy. It's not a plutocracy. It's not a bureaucracy. No, this is a theocracy. And good news, everyone. My name is Theo. (laughs) The Theo, he was kind of, yeah. So, as you heard last week... That's not the way church should go. True Christian leaders are to serve Christ and not themselves. But more to the point here though, especially in 1 Corinthians 4, true Christian leaders are to serve Christ and not ultimately us. After all, that's, that's the other way it can go, isn't it? In, in, in typical uh, Christian leadership. Indeed, I, I think that's often the way we want it, isn't it? In, in typical Christian leaders. We want leaders who will do what we want. We want leaders who will preach like we like. We want leaders who who won't rock the boat or won't ruffle feathers or won't make us feel uncomfortable. We want leaders who, well, basically, who will first please us. But Paul says, no, that's not true Christian leadership. As popular as that would make them, as easy as that would make things, true Christian leadership says, no, I may be your servant, but God is my master. He is the one I aim to please. He is the one whose approval I seek. See, that, that, that is, by the way, why Paul can say what he says there from, at the end of, of that chapter, down in verse 18 and following. Did, did you hear it when it was read? Why he can say what they need and not just what they want. Why he can say the hard but helpful word instead of always the uselessly nice word. Why? Well, because he has one ultimate master and it's not them. Have a look, verse 3. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's and women's hearts. So, you and I sit there, don't we? And we put our leaders to the test. Rarely out loud, of course, or only in carefully selected company, we rate and rank and judge our leaders, don't we? But on what? On what basis? 
By what criteria? Well, very often it's by our own personal preference and with our own limited knowledge. Well, if that's you, Paul says, stop. Paul says, don't. Paul says, wait instead for Jesus for when he returns and he reveals what you and I could never know. Wait for the one, Paul says, who alone is qualified to ultimately assess. Who alone is qualified to, well, hand out praise. Did you see it there at the end of verse 5? Last little sentence there of verse 5. See, I bet you thought that on the last day when, when the Lord Jesus returns, you would be praising God. And just for the record, I think you will be. But, but do you see that incredibly also God will praise you? And in particular in this chapter here and, and as their one ultimate master, God will praise our leaders. And on what basis and on what measure? Well, not in the ones we're often tempted to use, their impressiveness or funniness or flashiness. But instead, back in verse 2, simply on their faithfulness. On their faithfulness with what they do, with what God has given. With what they do, verse 1, with the, with the, the secret things of God. The, the secret God has made known and, and now they must make known. The secret, the, the mysteries, as John and others have been teaching us from 1 Corinthians, that, that it's in Jesus, the crucified Jesus, the risen Jesus, the, the ruling Jesus, the returning Jesus, that all of life finds its meaning. And all of life finds its purpose. And all of life finds its hope. See, as one preacher put it, the question put to leaders on the day of Christ's return will not be, are you a brilliant communicator who held us all spellbound by your funny jokes? Did you lead an impressive church full of, full of hundreds of people? Did you gain a good reputation in the world for your, for your learning and oratory? No, instead his questions will be, were you faithful? Did you fulfil the task entrusted to you? Did you hold faithfully to the gospel of the crucified Christ proclaimed in the scriptures? In other words, were you a servant of Christ who proclaimed the cross? That's what will matter to God. So friends, I want to ask, is that what matters to us? Is that what we look for in our Christian leaders? Is that the criteria you judge against? When you go home tonight and you apply your, your Sunday service rating, when you consider again this church and whether you'll stay or whether you'll go, as you look to these leaders that God has given us, what are you looking for? For someone as clever as that person down the road? For someone as cool as that guy in the city? For that perfect podcast preacher with his seven sermon researches? 
For someone who will do what you want and say what you want and never rebuke you, never challenge you, do you look for this? Do you look for this? For what God says he looks for. And if you already are a leader or you're aspiring to be one, as I think lots of people in this room should be in one way or another, is this what you're aspiring to? Is this what you want to be like? Is this what you're trying to be like? Someone who lives for an audience of one. Someone who speaks of the Jesus who died. See, true Christian leaders are servants of Christ who proclaim the cross. And they are fools for Christ who live the cross. Fools for Christ who live the cross. I heard of another minister once who as he was entering the pulpit had this piece of paper thrown at him. And he, and he reached down and he picked it up and he opened it up and it just had one word. Fool. So he kept going up to his pulpit and as he began his sermon, he said, well, I've received many anonymous letters in my time, letters without signatures, but, but for the first time I received a signature without a letter. Nobody likes to be called a fool. I know I hate it when I'm out leafleting or something similar on campus. being treated like a fool by some upstart 18-year-old who just waves me away like they know better. Little punk. (laughs) But Paul insists that's what Christian leaders are. In the eyes of the world, fools for Christ who live the cross. And so, there is no place for pride, not for them, not for us. Have a look, verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. It's hard to work out what that phrase is, but I think what it means is the what is written. It's probably a reference to, to those parts of the Old Testament Paul's already been quoting, a bit like the first reading we had tonight, already in this letter, where, where he says, I'll, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and, and the intelligence of the intelligent, I'll frustrate or or let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. After, do you remember from Dan uh, last week? That was the Corinthian problem. They saw greatness in their leaders and, and they wanted greatness in themselves and they thought, well, we know what we'll do. We'll align ourselves with the great ones. We'll be, we'll be great by association. And so Paul writes to burst their bubble and deflate their pride. He says there, verse 7, you see, who makes you different from anyone else. What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? I mean, just stop and think about it, Paul says. All you have is a gift from God, including your leaders. And if it's a gift, how could you boast? It's ridiculous. I mean, even if they were fantastically flashy, as you apparently think you are, see there verse 8, you only have what was given to you. There is no place for pride. Besides, Paul goes on, what you have been given isn't fantastically flashy anyway. We're exactly the opposite, says Paul, you see. Indeed, true Christian leadership is exactly the opposite. Verse 9. For it seems to me, 
God has put us apostles on display at the, at the end of the procession, like, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been a, made a spectacle to the, to the whole universe, to, to angels as well as to men. Is it? See, the, probably the image Paul wants us to think of here is, is the gladiator in the arena, or more likely actually the, the criminal in the arena, the, the ones thrown in last, sort of fought to, forced to fight to the death, or the ones thrown in last and, and fed to the lions. That's us. Paul says, that's us in the eyes of the world. You see, at verse 10, we are fools for Christ. You're so wise in Christ. We are weak. You're so strong. You're honoured. We are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry, thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands in a culture where it was looked down on to work with your hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment... We have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. As Harry and I were reading a week or two ago from the, the message uh, version of the Bible, we, we are treated like garbage, potato peelings from culture's kitchen. Whichever way you read it, it's not good. See, what does you honestly expect, Paul says? from the genuine Christian life. What did you honestly expect, Paul says, from the genuine Christian leader? Popularity? Victory? Luxury? Really? Have you read this book? Have you met this Jesus? No, Paul says. This side of Jesus' return, the life of the Christian leader must follow the pattern of the cross. The suffering now, glory later pattern of the cross. The the sacrifice now, victory later pattern of the cross. And, And just by the way, in case you think that's an aberration, you know, silly old Paul brought it all himself and he just got a bit smarter, he just cooled it up a bit. He saved himself a lot of pain. Have a look again at verse 9 and at whose idea this is. Whose is it? It's God's. This is how it's supposed to be for true Christian leaders. God has put us on display. Now, I should say, uh, if you happen to be new with us this evening and new to the whole Christian thing, um, you ought to know that Christianity is the best, most fulfilling, most satisfying, most joyous way to live because it's God's way to live. But it's also the hardest. It's a basic fact of the Bible that this side of Jesus' return, godliness runs counter to worldliness. To walk toward the Father, with the Son, by the Spirit, is to set yourself on a collision course with the rest of the world. You can expect to get bumped. You can expect to get bruised. You can expect to look really, really silly. 
My kids weren't here, I'd even use the steward, but I can't use the steward with my kids. And if we should expect that, how much more should those at the front of the line? How should much more should those leaders who lead us? What did you expect them to look like, Paul says? What did you think you were looking for? Those kind of funky fashionistas with the Bible in hand? Worldly success with the wisdom of God? No. True Christian leaders are servants of Christ who preach the cross. Fools for Christ who live the cross. And finally, you'll see there they are models of Christ who must be imitated. Models of Christ who must be imitated. See, perhaps uh, you've been wondering, you've been listening to all this tonight, why is this guy going on and on about all this? Or maybe you've been reading this saying, why is Paul bothering to tell me all this? Is this kind of some kind of apostolic whinge binge? <laughs> Paul wants us to pity the fool? Uh, well, it turns out, no. Paul's not telling us for sympathy's sake. Paul's telling us for copying's sake. He's telling us this, so we'll do it too. See verse 14? I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you'd not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. In the verses that follow, you see that's actually why he sent Timothy. So they might recall his way of life and do that too. See, it's just as we said at the start of the talk, do you remember? This is how it's supposed to be. Like, like I guess in my mind, some kind of Christian row of babushka dolls or a, or a kind of Christian lineup of Elvis impersonators. Right at the heart of true Christian leadership is this idea of imitation. Not only do as I say, but do as I do. And here it's particularly Paul and the Corinthians with a particular reason. He's their father in Christ. They, they were born again under him. And in an age and culture, it was understood you, you were expected you'd follow in the family business. Paul trades on that. He says, follow me. Follow in the family business. But of course, it's not just them. and It's not just there. This is us too. We are to copy our leaders as they copy Christ. We are to live like them as they live like him. So let's talk of, of Christian leadership. You might have been tempted, I suppose, to just kind of tune out. And I can see if you do that. But you might be tempted just to tune out and you know, kind of push the person, wake me up on the last song. Or maybe you might be tempted to think, wow, what an amazing group of people. Or more likely, perhaps, phew, glad that's not me. Of course, that's not how it works. There are not two categories of Christian. Priests over there, laity over here. Pastors over there, people over here. They need to be godly. Us, whew, thank goodness, not so much. doesn't work like that. Rather, the reason our leaders that live like this is servants of Christ who proclaim the cross, fools for Christ who live the cross, is so that you and I will do it too. So that you and I will copy them. So as we wrap up our talk for the night, let me ask you then, will you? Will you live like this? At school tomorrow, 
at uni tomorrow, at work tomorrow, at home tomorrow? Will you push aside all the competing opinions and will you live for the praise of one? Will you try to speak Christ or at least invite here? Will you agree to look foolish in the eyes of the world? Will you serve, sacrifice, suffer, knowing glory will come and will you follow our leaders as they lead us like this? Will you follow our leaders as they lead us like this? Friends, let's pray.